The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or Cubist, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, otherwise known as DIVBIC. I'm your host today, Betsy Meyer. I'm a nurse practitioner in the Clinical Practice and Clinical Recommendations Division here at DIVBIC. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Donald Marion. Dr. Marion is a neurosurgeon at DIVBIC. Don and I will discuss a study entitled Persistent Impairment-Based Symptoms Post-Mild Traumatic Brain Injury. Does a Standard Symptom Scale Detect Them? By Galea, O'Leary, and Trey Levin, and published in the February issue of the journal Musculoskeletal Science and Practice. Hi, Don. Hi, Betsy. What were the key findings of this study? The investigators evaluated 62 mild traumatic brain injury patients one to six months after their injury with a wide variety of outcomes assessment tools. They found that only about 28% of individuals asymptomatic at one to six months after injury had abnormal scores on the most commonly used MTBI symptom scale in Australia, the head injury scale or HIS. However, when the patients were given more detailed impairment-specific tests, as expected, 94% of the symptomatic individuals had abnormal scores, but so did 62% of, quote, asymptomatic, unquote, individuals are asymptomatic to the HIS scale. And and so that's 34% more than were detected with the HIS scale. The investigators concluded that a significant number of individuals after their traumatic brain injury may experience ongoing impairments and that standard post-MTBI symptom tools may not detect all impairments post-injury. What are the most commonly used outcomes assessment tools? Well, for this Australian study, Betsy, they used the HIS, a self-report tool with 16 items that the patient is asked to rate on a Likert scale of zero to six, zero being never and six being always. The 16 questions are grouped into uh, the following categories, uh, somatic, which uh, includes headache, nausea, vomiting, balance, sensitivity, and numbness, cognitive or slow down in a fog, trouble concentrating or remembering, and neuropsychological, uh, which includes fatigue, falling asleep, sleep more than usual, uh, and so forth. In the United States, the most commonly used scales are the Glasgow Outcome Scale Extended, or GOSE, often referred to as the GOSE, the Rivermead Post-Concussion Symptoms Questionnaire, or the RPQ, and the Patient's Health Questionnaire 9, or PHQ-9. The GOSI is a global assessment of functioning tool for the areas of independence, work, social, and leisure activities, and participation in social life. The RPQ, or Rivermead test, consists of 16 items for cognitive, emotional, and physical domains, 
uh, and patients are asked to rate uh, on a Likert scale the degree to which each of these items has become more of a problem during the previous 24 hours compared to before their TBI. And finally, the patient health questionnaire or PHQ-9 is a reliable and valid measure of the severity of depressive symptoms. It consists of nine items that reflect typical symptoms of depression uh, and again they're uh, rated on a score of zero to three. Are the outcomes assessment tools different for concussion, mild TBI, versus moderate, severe TBI? That's a good question, Betsy. And, and yes, as a matter of fact, they are. The tools mentioned above, the GOSI, RPQ, and PHQ-9, are commonly used for patients with MTBI or concussion. But for severe TBI, uh, clinicians typically uh, prefer the Ranchos Los Amigos scale, the Functional Independence Measure, or FIM, and the Neurophysical Outcome Scale, or NOS, which are the most commonly used. Those scales are more helpful for gauging the levels of long-term or permanent disability typically associated with severe TBI. Don, how was the study designed? Betsy, the goal of the study was to determine how well a commonly used outcomes assessment surveillance tool detects clinically meaningful post-concussion symptoms. Participants included 62 individuals diagnosed with MTBI and 32 healthy controls aged between 18 and 60 years who had never sustained an MTBI and who were recruited between October of 2016 and July of 2018. Participants in the MTBI group had received a diagnosis of MTBI or concussion from a medical specialist based on Glasgow Coma Scale scores of 13 to 15, post-traumatic amnesia less than 24 hours, loss of consciousness less than 30 minutes following their injury, or alteration of consciousness for at least 30 minutes post-injury. The 62 patients in the MTBI group were then subdivided into a symptomatic group of 33 subjects and an asymptomatic group of 29 subjects based on the response to the question, are you continuing to experience symptoms in relation to your most recent concussion? The subjects were then administered the HIS as well as different impairment-specific self-report clinical tools that included the neck disability index, the dizziness handicap inventory short form, the visual complaint index, space and motion discomfort, hyperarousal, fatigue, uh, and a sleep study. At four weeks to six months after injury, the self-reported outcomes for the HIS were compared with those for each of the impairment-specific clinical tools among each of the three subgroups, healthy controls, asymptomatic mild TBI, and symptomatic mild TBI. Compared with the healthy controls, asymptomatic mild TBI patients had significantly more complaints of neck pain and hyperarousal, and nearly significantly more complaints of fatigue. What are the limitations of this study? Uh, Betsy, the study was conducted using a screening tool popular in Australia, i.e. the HIS, but not typically used in the U.S. While the GOSI that is used in the U.S. does not directly ask about the presence of neck pain, it is possible that such somatic complaints would affect scores in the higher range. The study did not include a quality of life scale that might have revealed extracranial problems such as post-traumatic neck pain that impaired the patient's quality of life. Don, what would you say are the key takeaways from this study? 
Betsy, I think uh, a diverse range of symptoms such as cervical, vestibular, and physiological uh, symptoms may be present in individuals following MTBI that can persist for months or longer. Symptoms may also be present in individuals who overall consider themselves symptom-free. Many generic self-reported symptom scales may not detect those symptoms in these apparently asymptomatic individuals. None of the three most commonly used self-reported outcomes tools, the GOSE, RPQ, and PHQ-9 that are used in the United States, ask about neck symptoms or hyperarousal. So decisions regarding recovery and return to activity following MTBI require a very comprehensive examination beyond the common concussion screening tools uh, that consider several factors, including potential impairment of the cervical spine, and most importantly, quality of and satisfaction with life. Great. Thank you, Don, for your insights. That's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this quick literature update. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. If you have any questions about the podcast or about DivBic products or programs, or if you have feedback for us, please feel free to email us at info at that's info at divbic.org. Cubist is produced and edited by Dr. Deborah Balin and was hosted today by me, Betsy Meyer. It is a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center led by Division Chief Captain Scott Pine, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode. Next time, we will discuss TBI research getting attention in the mainstream press.